From the Preservation Maryland studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. On this special extra edition of PreserveCast, you'll hear from Preservation Maryland and PreserveCast's best friend, Mary Anthony of the 1772 Foundation, as she interviews her friends with the National Trust of Scotland about a very special fiddle. All that and more on this extra episode of PreserveCast. Before we start this week's episode, I really want to thank you for listening, and I want to ask for your help. PreserveCast is powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that depends on member contributions to fund its work. This podcast receives no government support and currently has no major funder support. Its budget is entirely dependent on listener contributions. I'm hoping you'll consider making a quick gift to help support this podcast, which is bringing important preservation stories to thousands of listeners around the country. Think of us as your preservation Netflix. Any amount helps, and you can make a quick online donation by going to PreserveCast.org and clicking the Donate Now button in the upper right-hand corner. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get preserving. Mary Anthony from the 1772 Foundation, where we love to find fresh approaches to history. I recently traveled to Old City Hall in Boston, Massachusetts, the home of the National Trust for Scotland Foundation, USA, to see the 270-year-old Greg Violin, a priceless piece from the Burns Collection that normally lives in a glass case at the Robert Burns Birthplace Museum in Alloway, Scotland. The fiddle was recently named a national treasure, one of the objects featured in the history of Scotland in 25 Objects. In what may seem like a risky move, the fiddle was carefully packed up and flown across the Atlantic Ocean so that American audiences could be exposed to the sweet music of Scottish history and learn more about Robert Burns, the plowman's poet. After events here in Boston, the fiddle traveled to Chicago, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. to celebrate Burns nights across the country and the 20th anniversary of the American Foundation. You can see this ancient and very beautiful instrument online at ntsusa.org. The only person allowed to play the Greg violin is Alistair McCullough, acclaimed violinist and traditional music tutor at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland in Glasgow. Alistair joins the conversation today along with Dr. David Hopes, head of collections and interiors at the National Trust for Scotland, who tells us more about this trip, Robert Burns, and the benefits of bringing the Greg violin on the road. David, um, we're here at the National Trust for Scotland Foundation offices. What is your job back at home? What do you do? Very good question. Um, I am head of collections and interiors, and I work in the policy unit at our headquarters at Hermiston Gate in Edinburgh. We've got 133 properties across Scotland, and 50 of those properties have artifacts with inside them. So everything from art to furniture to books to photographs, the stuff of life, really, um, which meant so much to the people who once lived or worked in those properties. So about half a million objects in total. And we've got one of them here with us uh, on a tour of the States to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the foundation uh, in the States, which is headquartered in Boston. And Alistair, what is your job and, and why are you the person here in Boston today? Well, I, I've been a professional fiddle player uh, for the past 25 years and I perform, I tour, I compose uh, and I teach at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and uh, it's a pleasure to be back in the US. I've been here many times over the years. 
So we're sitting here with the violin and you obviously can't see it, but if you go to the National Trust for Scotland Foundation, which is ntsusa.org, you can see a picture of it. It's quite beautiful. Um, it's not, I don't think, a standard size violin, is it? That's correct. It's around an inch shorter than a standard instrument. Mm -hmm. And uh, the instrument dates back to probably around 1760. Mm -hmm. And it was made in probably in Ayrshire in Scotland, not too far from where Robert Lunds was born. Mm -hmm. And uh, the instrument was owned and played by William Gregg, who was Robert Lunds' dance teacher at the Bachelors Club in Tar Bolton. David will tell you a little bit more about the history of the Bachelors Club. Yeah, Bachelors Club is uh, a building, two-story building with a thatch roof in the village of Turbolton. Burns moved to Turbolton in his teens, and he was quite keen to carve his own sense of identity and to meet local people, especially uh, females. <laughs> uh, so he took dance lessons. Uh, around about the same time, we know that he uh, purchased a fiddle as well. So Burns has this burgeoning interest in uh, socializing, but also in music and dance in particular. And I think it would be very unusual had he not picked up this fiddle at some point. And for, for American listeners who aren't familiar with Robert Burns, why is he so important to Scotland? Um, he only lived for 37 years, uh, but he lived at a very uh, important time in terms of modernization in Scotland. He was a farmer. Um, he never became a full-time writer, but he produced 900 poems and songs during his short life. Importantly, I think uh, he used Scots language and he spoke about uh, ordinary life and things that we can all relate to. So although some of his language can be a bit of a barrier, especially perhaps to American readers, um, a lot of what he's writing about is kind of universal. And the way that he framed things uh, using the Scots language, and he had a, a musical ear, I think. So his, his songs and his poems uh, resonate. You might not understand the, the meaning of the words, but um, there's a, a beautiful sentiment behind them. Uh, which gives them currency even today. And so you took this out of the collection. I mean, physically took it out of the collection and you brought it to the United States. How many times have you done that? It's, this is only a second visit to the United States. It came with Alistair in 2017 to New York, but it's never been to Boston before or any of the other um, four cities. So we're, we're going to five cities in the States during this tour. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to, uh, we've been to New York, uh, we, we've been to Chicago, we're going to Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. And we, of course, we're in Boston now. So. And Alistair, you are over at the North Bennett Street School today in Boston um, with the violin, uh, they're craftsmen, they're trained to be uh, violin makers and, and people who can repair um, antique violins. Is that the right word? Antique. <laughs> um, and, and you were able to play for them. What, what was that experience like? I mean, and, how, and what was the reception um, by the students when you came today? I thoroughly enjoyed the visit um, because I play the, the fiddle or the violin, most people assume that you know everything about the construction of instruments. I actually don't know that much about how instruments are made. So I learned a lot today from um, the, the director of the course and also the students. Um, but I think it was special for them to see this historical instrument and compare it to modern day dimensions because it's quite different from, from that. Um, but also the, the, the very beautiful paintings or, or etchings on the, the body of the instrument. Um, it's very artistic. It was, it's not typical of Scottish instruments at that, at that time. Um, it, it could have you know, been influenced by 
fiddles in Scandinavia or even Italy. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, if you do visit the website and have a look at the, the, the instrument, it's, it's very beautifully decorated. Mm-hmm. So that, that was something that, that, that they were attracted to. Uh, and they were fascinated by how it sounded as well. It's, mm-hmm. the, the instrument is a baroque setup and it has gut strings, so it's a different kind of sound from most modern day instruments. It's a softer quality, mm-hmm. uh, but a, quite a sweet tone. Uh, and as an instrument, I've been playing the instrument for more than 10 years, so I kind of know how to operate it. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like an old car. <laughs> um, it takes a bit of getting used to because of the adjustment to the fingering, because it has a shorter neck, mm-hmm. and some strings are weaker than others. And, um, so I tend to stick to music of the period, like 18th century fiddle music, or music associated with Robert Burns, mm-hmm. which sits very well on the instrument. And you may feel almost obliged to play music of that, that period in history, um, you know, just because of the, the history of the, the instrument itself. And David, the response when you brought brought the violin on tour, what, what's, what is the response when Alistair plays it? And how do people react? Uh, it sends uh, hairs on the back of the neck uh, to, to stand up. Um, it, it is really quite special and its significance lies in its ability to be played and to still communicate uh, and to bring us closer to Burns and the experience that he had um, moving around a small room in the village of Turbolton, you know, in the, the, the 1770s. So it's a very special way of connecting us to, to the, the lived experience of Burns. Um, and people are I think, aware of the, the rarity of, of it being played in a different place, especially a different country, you know, a p- country that Burns never reached, really. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a, a very special, magical experience. And to hear it in the hands of Alistair as well is, is quite something. I think even listening to it on the website was sort of sort of magical. We were just um, at the office one day listening, and this is really cool. It's such an <laughs> interesting um, idea to bring this sort of bring this object on tour. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the tension that that might have come up um, between sort of the diehard preservation, conservation people who would not want a violin that is so important or any artifact really to be um, let go, to, to let it go into a place where maybe something could befall it. So it was 19 degrees here in Boston and I was driving, I was driving here today thinking, I'm a little worried about the violin. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? How how did you deal with that kind of? I don't know if you got pushback, but if you got pushback, how did you deal with it? There's always pushback, I think, to to taking things out of their museum environment. Most of the year, uh, this f- fiddle or violin, whichever you're having yourself, uh, sits behind glass in a specially controlled um, display case at Robert Burns Birthplace Museum in Alloway Ayrshire, where Burns was born. Um, but because it can still be played, it would be, and because its significance lies in it, it can still be played, it would seem daft for us really to to confine it to its display case you know, all through the year. That being said, we have to ration its appearance, um, you know, when it's being played, but we just need to be sensible. So uh, we we can't take the fiddle to an environment which is wholly unsuitable outside. We just need to use a common sense, but also appreciate that conservation can be done in a number of ways. And as a, you know, a piece of cultural diplomacy, bringing the fiddle and having it played in the United States where We've, um, we have lots of friends and supporters. Something like $10 million has crossed the Atlantic to, to Scotland uh, for the National Trust for Scotland in the 20 years of the foundation. Uh, that's a really important job, um, as well as looking at the physical integrity of the, the, the fiddle. So we can conserve in a number of ways. We can conserve through access and we can conserve through maintaining the material integrity of the fiddle. So we've often said that the, the real currency of preservation is the affection that people feel for, in our case, it's usually old buildings. 
and that when you restrict access, you you sort of cut off the the lifeblood of yeah. of the future of of that object. And so I was really impressed with the fact that you took a chance and and brought it across the pond. Well, instead of I mean, I think typically in the past, if there was a proposal to take a fiddle um, to a, a different environment, we'd rush to do a risk assessment. What we're trying to do increasingly is look at benefits to do a benefits analysis before we get to risk assessment, just so that our our decision making on conservation is a bit more balanced. Um, so it's conservation through use wherever possible. And use can be, it doesn't need to be the original use. It could be just a novel way of making, um, having people enjoy the objects in different ways, really. Uh, so a chair doesn't need to be sat upon. A uh, table doesn't need to be you know, used for, for dinner for it to be used in a different way. But typically, uh, over the past 20, 30 years, um, a, a visit to an historic house where Burns live, for example, has involved just going into a room and standing, staring and moving to the next room. Well, we need to, we need to do better than that, really. And we can, especially with objects like this. And David has done better than that. Alistair David and the Greg Violin prepared to travel to the BAFTA Awards in Santa Monica the next day, but they made one last stop at the Consul General's home on Beacon Hill in Boston that evening. Here's Alistair proving how important it is to consider not only the risks, but also the benefits of letting history breathe a little. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show, notes, and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support and remember to keep preserving.